It's time once again to cross the Atlantic to Canada, where we speak with John Rafferty, who is the chief executive of the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. We'd like to uh, have a, a little catch up to find out what the big stories are over there, what events are coming up, and uh, pretty much the kind of things that affect blind and partially sighted people in Canada, which, let's face it, uh, it is pretty much uh, things that affect people with visual impairments across the globe. John, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Now, we've got a couple of topics where we're going to chat about today, John. And uh, I suppose the first of these is quite apt as we're heading towards summer. No doubt there'll be all sorts of programmes in place for the uh, the warm days and the warm evenings over there. There, there will indeed. And, and uh, I guess the first topic is quintessentially Canadian. It's all about being on a lake, uh, being able to get out in a kayak and a canoe, to try water skiing, swimming, riding your bike. Uh, and, and for us, that's all about making sure that those activities are accessible and people have an opportunity to uh, experience things that they maybe don't normally do and to partake in, in Canadian summer the way that everyone else does. Inclusion, really, the word there, John, because I'm sure many people, when you've said things like windsurfing and cycling, are yeah. windsurfing especially, people would probably say, well, how does a, a blind or a partially sighted person even think about doing something like that? Well, based on my experience watching people, they do it a lot better than I do, Alan. <laughs> um, and, along, and, and that goes for sailing as well. There is this kind of mental block, I think, with the general public around people's abilities. And, and I don't know why in today's age people jump to the instant conclusion that or well, somebody who's blind can't do that. I think that as opposed to uh, jumping to the conclusion, I wonder how somebody who's blind does that differently. Um, so we've still got work to do on that. But for, for us in the summer months, um, you know, we have particular focus on kids weeks. But I think the most exciting weeks for me um, in our camp programs across the country are our family weeks. And, and sometimes uh, the family of three or four may have a parent who's blind or partially sighted with, with their, their spouse or partner and, and children. Uh, or it may be that the children uh, or one of the children um, is blind or partially sighted. But but you've got these families of which all of them have someone in their family um, with vision loss, uh, experiencing uh, programming together, uh, building bonds, uh, many of whom have, have spent the same week together in, in one of our camps uh, every year for, for many, many years. And their families have grown up together. Uh, and so there's there's bonding, there's skills uh, being taught, um, there's new experiences being being had, and, and it really is something special. I think you touched on the point there, John, it's about skills as well. It's a fun way for perhaps people who may be a little ostracised from other people with visual impairments or perhaps don't get the opportunities to really find their feet, you know, build their confidence, work in groups and you know, grab the bull by the horns, doing things they've never done before. So huge opportunities to help people grow, but built around fun and sport. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key word you said there is group. Um, you know, Canada is rather large um, physically. And uh, and so many people uh, don't have much interaction with others who are blind or partially sighted like themselves. And and to be able to share uh, share conversations about how they do things, but also to be in a safe environment when where they're experiencing trying a new task for the first time around others who are trying it 
themselves is is really um, very much level setting and emotionally that's uh, that's very rewarding um, and it, it it's it's also very encouraging for people to try things that they would never have thought to do the, the number of people we have that that come to a camp program and had never been swimming had never been in a canoe never been sailing because their whole life they've been told well you, you're blind you can't do that whereas we we tell people you're blind you better hurry up and get doing it so it, it's a, just a different way of thinking that we have and and i think it's it's very invigorating do you notice or do members of your staff notice changes in people who perhaps come feeling a little bit withdrawn very hesitant about doing this and you know turn around not maybe not hugely but but turn around once they've, they've tried out some of these sports for a while if the actual technical difference between their ability in any one of the activities we have isn't particularly big what people leave the programs with is a sense of going from I can't to I can. And it really is, and, and people tell us this all the time, it's one of those turning points that, that allow people to start trying new things throughout the year as well, um, that gives them that little foundation of confidence <clears throat> that, that allows them to build on it throughout the year. And for many people, they, they come back to one of these types of summer programs year on, year, uh, year in, year out. Um, and and it is it it really is for so many the starting point to uh, to a different direction. So then, do you get many people coming back to these or, or suggesting other things that you could try? Yeah, we we do, and we we have thematic weeks uh, that that often you know are run at at the request of people that are coming from sailing to fishing. <clears throat> you know, those weeks uh, um, have great demand and are pretty consistent. Uh, Braille weeks. Uh, Every so often, technology weeks, um, we have a, a triathlon week. Um, and it's not that everyone in, in our camp programs in that week is having to do that, but where we, we will run a particular program for uh, age-appropriate triathlon training in one of the weeks for people who are like-minded. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it is very client-driven, uh, the types of programs we have. Okay, so we've looked at some of the uh, the summer fun that, that's coming up courtesy of CNIB and our, our next and final topic um, I think John is is again it's, it's a topic which visually impaired people around the world face on a day-to-day basis it's getting access to books and literature and, and reading and again something which CNIB works quite strongly on. Uh, yeah, we do, and, and we we've been working for uh, many many decades on this topic, and and I think that what I wanted to kind of bring up today, as it relates to access to information, is um, that with the events of the last year or so, uh, certainly in Canada, we've had a lot of good commitments from the government and and their work in being the twentieth country to uh, to ratify uh, Marrakesh that brings it into international effect. You know, we. We probably um, uh, kind of had a bit of a sigh of relief uh, in the fall last year, in the autumn last year, thinking that we'd finished the journey. And and I I guess I just wanted to flag that if we're not continually reminding people uh, in public office the importance of access to information, it's very easy for for 
the system to to forget about people who are print disabled and and within that those who are blind or partially sighted we found over the last few months and i don't think it was a kind of a conscious thing on behalf of our government because we felt we'd finished the journey and with their commitments um we we didn't do as much public conversations in in the autumn and and in the uh, the winter months um, and we seem to have fall, fallen through a few cracks. Now, we're, we're very quickly kind of closing those gaps with the government to get back on track. But I think in the countries around the world that are still having the argument around the right to read, you know, you've got to be relentless, you've got to be consistent. There's nothing more important than access to information and, and equal access. Um, and, but even in those countries where we have a relatively good level of access, we still periodically need to make sure we remind people so that they don't forget. Uh, and I just thought it would be a shout out today, partly because we're, we're going into a bit more of a public education campaign again right now in Canada, because we felt that, you know, that we've, uh, we've lost our way a little bit, but also as a reminder to those who listen in other countries who, who are relatively confident in what they have, that that doesn't mean you shouldn't still uh, have a conversation on a regular basis. In Marrakesh is a global view, if you like, looking to, to share literature globally, getting beyond copyright, allowing organizations, you know, big and small, supporting, say, visually impaired people at this point anyway, uh, to, to share that important literature. Yeah. And, and literature is everything, isn't it? It's not just reading books for pleasure. It's for education. It's for work. It's it's down to the leaflets that come through your door from your local government. Yeah, no, it is absolutely everything. And it, and it forms part of our culture. It's part of our dialogue. So many expressions that we have come from from literature that we absorb and 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 you know I, I think it is incredibly important and Marrakesh is, is uh, going to be critical long term to share information cross borders but you've got to be creating alternate format material in every country around the world in order to share it and that's what makes Marrakesh work and and if we're not on top of our each of us on top of our domestic agenda to ensure that in our case Canadian literature Canadian uh, information is fully accessible so we can share it with everyone in Canada that wants to read a great Margaret Atwood novel or wants to understand more about you know the history of the British North American Act depending on what their their needs are I mean there's so many things and if we do our job in Canada and and folks in the UK do their job and people in France do their job, et cetera. Then when we share this through Marrakesh, we, we will have a very equal society. But Marrakesh is a great vehicle, but if we don't do our domestic work, then it really doesn't help anybody. It's almost a look after the pennies, the pounds look after themselves. It's the little things that you keep an eye on. Absolutely, absolutely. John, pleasure speaking with you as always. And now if people would like to learn more about CNIB and your work, how do they do that? Well, we would always encourage people to follow us on Twitter. Uh, I know it's had a bad name with Mr. Trump lately, but uh, but there's there's often some good links there uh, and some good uh, good elements of information. We've got a, a great Facebook page that's quite interactive. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, um, or you can uh, go to what now I guess is the old way of doing it, which is our website at cnib.ca. The good old-fashioned website. John, pleasure speaking with you as always, and thank you for joining us on RNIB Connect Radio. Thanks for having me, Alan.